You're listening to Castrol CarCast on Podcast One. Well, we talk uh, some uh, movies. We talk car movies. We also talk to Simon Pagino, guy who won the last Indy 500. Such a sweetheart of a guy, right? Yeah, he absolutely is. And he dropped some uh, news about the rescheduling of the Indy 500. With some interesting angles on it that you probably wouldn't have thought of if you weren't uh, as steeped in it as we are and as he is. First, I'll tell you about uh, Geico. Oh, yeah. Do you have homeowner's insurance? You have renter's insurance? You probably have one or the other. Now it's time to do a little bundling. Take the uh, homeowners and the renters and bundle it with the auto insurance. Go to Geico, geico geico.com. Spend a couple minutes, see just how much you could be saving when you bundle, it is uh, easy, it is quick, and uh, it's also uh, a time saver in terms of having everything under one umbrella. So go to Geico, get your bundle on at geico.com. Yeah, get it on. Got to get it on. A choice, but to get on mandate, get it on. And welcome to uh, CarCast. I'm Adam Carolla. It's Matt, the motorator. DeAndrea over Hello. there. I'm yeah. uh, coming to you from my home theater in my bathrobe. I can see you in your bathrobe. <laughs> yeah, I was in my bathrobe. Uh, it's, a, it's a luxurious bathrobe that uh, Jimmy Kimmel got me some years ago for like Christmas. It's, uh, it's lovely. And I thought, well, as long as I'm working from my house, uh, what am I changing into my street clothes for? So uh, I just came down in my uh, bathrobe, and we'll do it uh, super casually. Matt's over in his den. Simon Pagino, the last guy to win the Indy 500, is an uh, Indy driver, is going to be with us in a couple of few. Uh, news, well, things, things to complain about. Mm-hmm. I was uh, looking at a... Uh, episode of uh adam carolla goes racing and uh i was it was the i were sending it over to somebody to see if they had some interest in making it into a tv show or whatever and right smack dab in the middle of my race with the newman's uh gt1 car there we had a warm-up lap now (laughs) people say to me hey adam how do you know it's a warm-up lap how do I know it's a warm-up lap? I didn't edit it together. I mean, you got to think of it. Let's look at it through my perspective. All I think is I'm watching footage from a race that's edited together, right? But um, but how do I know it's a warm-up lap? Well, I know it's a warm-up lap because the cars are zigzagging, trying to get heat into the tire, and the, it never goes above 4,000 RPM. Yeah, which is, I would argue nobody's passing, nobody's racing, <laughs> nobody's racing. Now, I would argue that that's not only a visual, but it's an audible, and like you're, you're you you have two ways. Like when you edit, you have your ears and you have your eyes. This does both of them. This is people going down a straightaway and zigzagging slowly. I I I just I can't figure out why it makes it into the film every time. It's half speed down a straightaway while everyone is zigzagging. First things first, did anyone ever zigzag down that straightaway during the rest <laughs> of this race? 
If well, the answer is no, what makes this lap different from the others? <laughs> it would be an interesting part of racing if that's what everybody had to do was, oh, on this part of the track, you have to zigzag. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I had this super satisfying conversation with Nate where I said, Nate, for the 28th time, when we do these race videos, we can't have warm-up laps. We can't have footage of warm-up laps in the body of the race that we cut together. And then he goes, I go, I was zigzagging down the straightaway. And he goes, yeah, on that one, you were talking about putting heat into your tires. And I said, no, no, I wasn't. It'd be great if I was. I mean, it'd be great for you. It'd be great for you if I was talking about that. Chris, you probably heard this conversation a few times, which is, I know you wish I was talking about putting heat into my tires because then it would fit what I was doing. But I'll go back and look at the tape anyway. And I went back and looked at the tape. And all I said was, now it's time to rejoin the race. Or, you know, it was no, it's warm up lap. It's, I don't know what's wrong with me that I'm obsessed with this. Or is there anything wrong with me? I I think the issue is, the guys editing it and who are in charge of creating this are not obsessed with it, right? Like, why? Why can't they be obsessed it, with me being obsessed with it? <laughs> well, it wouldn't even be on your radar if it doesn't keep happening again and again and again. It would just be like, that looks good, makes sense, let's send it out. But now we're here in your I, I, There's robe something about. about cutting together race footage that just escapes people. Like even when they go, now it's time to rejoin the race. I started passing cars. It's just me and another car alone on a long straightaway where there's no other cars on it. Yeah. I don't, why, why do they do that? There's like, there's so much footage of so many cars. There's so much going on. Why? What is that? Why do they detune everything? I don't get it. I, I, that's a good question. I would say, is there a way for us to not film the warm-up laps? But there's not. When the car is moving, there's nothing we can do. We can't take that out of the equation, right? Because well, I don't know how I, else to fix it. I guess we could just take the raw footage and go, before you do anything, erase the warm-up laps. Just get what, it out of the footage. If you don't if, have it, then you can't put it in there. It seems well, also, silly the warm, that that's the what you have lap to do. is the first lap, so you can just go past the. It's it. Nobody shoehorns or sneaks in the warm up lap in between the sixth and ninth lap. <laughs> they, it's always at the beginning of the race. Yeah, so don't use the lap from the beginning of the race. Or maybe I'll just hold my hand over the camera or something like that while we're doing the warm up lap. Yeah. that'd be a good idea. That'd be funny. <laughs> <laughs> It's a bizarre it's a bizarre world to live in where you're really one of your one of your small asks is don't put this super slow weird warm-up lap shit in the body of this race that you're constructing but good news you have nine other laps to choose from yeah and then it gets in every time now you know what happens every time the editors like it when you're warming up the tires because there's movement. Right, which is a right. whole other conversation. It took them two years to figure out that's what we need to show movement. It's not just a picture of you staring out the window straight, not, not shifting, not throttling, not doing anything. We're like, you got to show movement. When you cut in the car, we need some movement. And right. now 
They're like, well, we found the most movement. That's the warm-up laugh. <laughs> Everybody is zigging and zagging every direction. Yeah. I don't mind. <laughs> it looks like something, but anybody who knew <laughs> anything about racing would think these guys are idiots. Yeah. Would they? It's, it's, it's funny, and I know I brought this up before, but uh, almost every night, late night, on like Stars or something, they show reruns of Miami Vice, the TV show, and they always do that montage. They're playing some Jan Hammer, Hammer song, and, yeah. and Crockett's in his Testarossa in the middle of the night going by the Fountain Blue Hotel in Miami four times, by the way. I don't know why he keeps yeah. circling the hotel. And every time they cut to him in the car, he's shifting. You yeah. would think there's 37 gears in a Testarossa, but the editor's like, got to show some movement. You got a drama in his face. Click, 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 click. I- He's you know, constantly shifting, and it's fantastic. Speaking of that, I was watching uh, Ford v. Ferrari <laughs> over the sequestration, and there's a couple of things in there that uh, in the racing world that they don't quite get right, which is, um, <clears throat> first things first, that part where two guys are going down the Molson straight, and uh, Christian Bale looks at the evil guy from Ferrari, and then he looks at him, and he looks at him, and then you see Bale's foot push down and yeah. go past him. Like, for the love of Christ, people who make racing movies, when guys <laughs> are on straightaways, they're just planted the whole time. There's no, look at him, look at me. All right, now I'm going. Like, you just go flat. You, you go flat, you grab the next gear, you go flat again. There is no, okay, now I'm pulling away from you, move. I, they always do that, and then... The big, and I'll let you try to solve this riddle. The, the big deal was <clears throat> the pivotal part of that movie is uh, Lorenzo Bandini was looking at him and looking at him. And right about the time that uh, Ken Miles just went, well, now I'm going to floor it. He floored it and started to take off. And Lorenzo Bandini was next to him. And he's in his Ferrari, and they're showing the tachometer. It's like 9,200. Like, and he's like, boom, it blows up, and he's out. Now, that car is either not geared right, or Bandini didn't grab the next gear. Because it's not going down the Mulsanne straight at 9,200 RPM. That's, it's 1966. (laughs) <laughs> that car's red line was 7,000 or 7,200 or whatever it is. That car, they don't have that car geared. He's either in a lesser gear. He either would have shifted or they wouldn't have geared it that way. What are they? Are they, are they trying going? to, are they trying to show that he's going beyond the limits of the engine just to stay ahead? Like he knows it's a 7,200 RPM engine. I mean, nine's a little high, but, but, are they trying to say he he has to go beyond the red line? This is cold trickle blowing the engine, like that kind of thing. Like there's the only way, you know, because well, if he was if he was pushing it, but he was still like in the safe zone of of you know seven thousand to seventy two hundred, maybe it doesn't seem as extreme. Although, you know, well, but, but what's, the two thousand RPM extra seems a little. But what's happening? Is he? There's no more gears to grab. There's no more gears to grab or... Uh... Well, but but 
would that car go to 9,000 RPM at the know. end, like in fifth gear? Like, here's the point. At a certain point, as long as the Molson straight is, you'd run out of straightaway. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that, I don't think those cars were geared to feather it in fifth gear or feather it in fourth gear, like all the way down at Molson. I think they just planted it. And at some point, the wind stopped them at 218 or whatever they were doing i don't know maybe simon simon pagino is he driven it uh... oh is is pagino done lama i'm curious uh i don't remember but he does quite a bit of sports car racing too i believe like with acura so we should we should find out from him if uh 2009 he drove in the 24 hour of lama in lmp1 for pes carollo sport team oh okay all right. Well, there you go. Lamar. Oh, it's at the it's at the bottom. It says, "Well, no, I." You say two thousand one, or you mean two thousand eleven? Two thousand nine. Oh, sorry, two thousand nine. I got two thousand eleven one. So sorry, second at the twenty four yeah. hours of Lamar. Double check that. The notes say, "Yeah, second place in two thousand eleven at Lamar." Oh, sorry. He's done two two thousand eight to two thousand eleven. I just was reading one of the years, but yeah, best finish, uh, second place in two thousand eleven. And what was he driving? Do we know? I'm just curious if it was one of the prototype cars or if he was you know a what I love car. about uh, Kalen. Thanks for listening. Kalen puts these things together. <laughs> what? Yeah. Did Lamar? <laughs> all right. There's uh, there's 15 bullet points. Uh, Lamar's at the very bottom of the page. Uh, above it, a few spots is won the champ car Atlantic in 2009 with the team Australian as rookie season, which is all great information, but I think we'd rather talk. Lamar should probably make it higher up on the list. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that makes sense. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> considering I think we talk about Lamar every single show, <laughs> wouldn't Lamar make it up the up higher up in the facts, in the facts department? You know what I'm saying? Yes, I hear you. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Um, all right, so uh, we'll talk to uh, whenever Simon Pagino is on Max Paddle. We'll talk to uh, Simon Pagino. Um, so uh, anyway, I don't like I'm tired of the move in racing movies where they look at each other and then floor it and pull away because I wish that was a possibility. But every time I've raced somebody and you're next to them on the straightaway, everyone has got it floored. There is no flooring it. That's just, it's, that's how it is. And then there's a version of that in the, in the turns or coming out of the turns. One, one could possibly work into a movie, but not in the straightaway, especially not when you're well down the straightaway. Right? No. Right. But so instead of the Ferrari tacking out at, uh, at 9,200 RPM, maybe just the bolts in his floorboard should come loose and that should pop out. <laughs> <laughs> I do love that. Uh, I do love that. I always miss that. I love that part of, of Fast and Furious 1. It's, yeah. Uh, well, uh, the, thing, the, thing I, the thing I like about uh, that is the conceit that that car even has that in it. That's the conceit. Yeah. Like, there is the thing about in a unibodied car, like an RX-7, where you put your feet in terms of the passenger <laughs> side, 
Yeah. That is, that is a sheet of metal that weighs about as much as a roll of saran wrap. Like, yeah. Right. So there is no weight savings. There is no weight savings to trying to cut out that floorboard. And then add a bunch of bolts. And add right? a bunch of bolts. So, <laughs> but there is another possibility. And that possibility is an access panel. Okay. Except yeah. for what are you there is nothing the but the ground underneath <laughs> where your feet are. I get it. Like some like like if they if that thing is on the firewall and it's like, hey, to get to this starter, you have to pull the engine, but we put this access panel here and now we can get to the starter through the through the firewall. Yeah. That'll oh. buy. Or the other way around, you got to go through the floor to get to something inside the car. You would think to his super secret nitrous bottles underneath the seat cushion, but doesn't the access panel floors give away <laughs> the, the idea of the super secret nitrous? Like, hey, I don't see any nitrous bottles, but I do see a really odd bolted -ed access panel. What's that for? Nothing. Simon is uh, running a little late. Yeah, Chris, we could have him on at the okay. time he's requesting. Um, so uh, Uppity, Shelby American, and the 24-Hour War all made the top 10 racing documentaries on uh, Top Gear. Yeah. My, uh, my phone hasn't stopped ringing. I got my dad on the blower. I got my mom on the phone. Uh, None of that and the kids true. are going nuts. None of that sounds true. <laughs> oh, I <have> no idea. <laughs> they don't even know. It's such a, you know, what's weird. It's weird that we're in this digital land. You know, we're in this digital electronic world where all things are, all things are possible. I, I sort of rank it up there with the, uh, my dad has a computer. My mom has a computer. They'll never know that their son's movies made three of the top 10 on the whatever, whatever. I don't blame them. It's just weird that it's not like, oh, they can't walk down to the post office and get the read the flyer that's uh, thumbtacked to the wall. It's just it could come to their computer. You know well, your, your dad's a little old school. He could be sitting in the crapper reading the actual hard copy of Top Gear magazine. Well, I don't know. He may have let his subscription run out. I think yeah. uh, he said after original crew uh, went and did uh, Grand Tour, he said he was out. He's out. Yeah. All right. Well, but then I, I don't blame him then. A, lo a lot of people speculate that my dad was the original stick. I don't know if I've ever brought that up to you. There yeah. Is I think you and I have different thoughts of what a lot of people means. Well, there's talk on the street uh, in, <laughs> yeah. in the, in the Altadena Pasadena area. <laughs> yeah. That that's, that's urban lore is what I'm, is what I'm saying. <laughs> so uh, that was nice. We made three out of the top 10 of a pretty reputable magazine that has uh, a lot of, a lot of movies to choose from. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's good. So we'll we'll take that. People can enjoy those on uh, Netflix. Now, yeah. there's a little bit of, uh, I, I don't know how much you can talk about it or willing to or want to, but there's some there's some buzz around Hollywood now about, uh, about Uppity as a feature film. Now, we've always liked the idea. We've always said it was a great story, uh, and the documentary told it well. I think people seem to be enjoying it that are watching it. Um, it, it, it caters to being a, a good feature film, but Hollywood's a pain in the ass and you never know, 
what they want, what they don't want. <clears throat> yeah. Nobody really know. knows what works and doesn't work. Everybody thinks they do. They don't really know. So well, but there's, yeah. there's some buzz. There's a thing in Hollywood where like, you're not supposed to talk about anything, which I, I don't know how that works, but I never, I've never participated in the doesn't want to talk about uh, anything um, movement. And it used to be really strong. There was a lot of stuff in Hollywood. There was like, don't talk about anything. I always talked about everything. And everyone always yelled at me like, no, you can't talk about this thing. And then, but nothing ever happened. Like nothing yeah, ever nothing came ever out happened. the back end. I, if you feel better, don't name names. No, no, but... I'll name, I name everyone all the time. Okay. because Nothing <laughs> ever happens and I don't care. But maybe that's the reason I'm in my bathrobe at home right now. Um, so I always talked about everything. And there also used to be stupid rules. Like you can do Letterman, but then you have to wait six months before you do Leno. You can't do Leno, or you could do Leno, but then you'd have to wait. That Letterman doesn't want. It's like who yeah, cares? Yeah. It just yeah. you have a book or a movie. Go do Leno. Go do Letterman. Like I could never figure out what all the rules were, and now there's not any rules. So the guy who said I don't know why there's rules turned out to be right because now there isn't any rules and nobody. Cares. Yeah, yeah. So we had uh, first we had Brian Koppelman interested in it from Billions and. Uh, and making a series on Showtime that sort of didn't go anywhere or the kind of went somewhere, but then it stopped and the whole John Singleton thing happened. That tragedy happened. We had uh, Ice Cube interested in, in doing it with his company and that got put on hold a little bit because we're trying to do something with Showtime. Um, Cube was thinking film. Showtime was thinking scripted series, right? Just right. To- Offer right. some clarification. And, right. We had, and, yeah, and then he, the he, negotiations with Showtime kind of put a hold on Ice Cube, and then, right you know, now he's off to other things. HBO are dickheads, and they never had any. They were just insulting. <laughs> they didn't have. They didn't have any interest in it at all uh, when I showed it to them, and then, <laughs> <clears throat> then, um, uh. God, what entertainment am I trying to think of? Sorry. The company? Yeah. Atlas? Mm. You always forget Atlas. <clears throat> I mean, I forget the name. I get stuck on the name Atlas for some reason. It doesn't, it's just one of those things that that doesn't work in my head for some reason. But uh, Atlas came around and they do Wonder Woman and all those big, all those big movies. So then Atlas was talking about uh, putting it to, putting us together with some directors and blah, blah, blah. Wonder Woman, Batman, V, Superman, uh, Suicide Squad, Justice League, Scooby-Doo, <laughs> American Hustle. They got a lot of range. Scooby-Doo I've seen. Uh, yeah, Scooby-Doo uh, I've seen. American Hustle <laughs> may have been better. Three Kings, 12 Monkeys. I don't know. Yeah. 12 Monkeys. City of Angels. So, box office. Yeah. City of Angels, by the way, was made in uh, 2998. So our, our great-grandchildren, that could have been a typo, our great-great-great-great-grandchildren <laughs> can enjoy a movie called City of Angels to come out in a thousand years. Um, so, I was putting it up as fast as I could. Yeah. Well, listen. That's all right. Just because you're going fast doesn't mean you have to fuck Nobody up. <laughs> Look at it that way. Nobody Simon, else can see it but you. Yeah. Simon Pagino goes fast. 
fast. He doesn't drive into the infield and run over concessionaires. <laughs> I was trying to go fast. I was going as fast as I could. You drove through the men's room. I was going fast. Yeah, what am I going to do? I got to go. <laughs> Twenty nine ninety eight. A movie called City of Angels comes out, and you'll be biting your tongue. Your <laughs> My great 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 grandkids. So, uh, and then uh, more more recently, uh, Mahershala Ali's uh, people have come sniffing around to see um, what we might do, or what they might do with that story. So, um, I don't know. The shutdown has kind of stymied a lot of a lot of these discussions, but. Um, there is interest in uh, uppity as a as a feature, so we shall uh, we shall see. I don't. Uh, I'm not holding my breath, but I'm I am happy that uh, people are responding this way. And I, I, it's nice to see Willie get some of this get some attention out of the whole thing as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's probably you know thirty years too late, but but I think he's enjoying it, and I've seen him do a. Uh, a handful of interviews and uh, selling some uppity hats and, and having a good time with it. So it's good. Cause I yes. like yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good things uh, for Willie T. Yeah. Um, let's see a, so we'll, we'll keep you guys posted on that thing. So it's such a weird thing because, you know, you make a movie like this, you get turned down by Tribeca and South by Southwest and, uh, and um, so, Sundance, it, all the majors, every major film festival turns it down. So then there's a part of you that's like, well, what do we got here? And then all these people want to make it into a feature and it's a uh, 97% with the people on Rotten Tomatoes and everyone loves it. So then what's, what's going on? Is it a bad film? Is it a good film? Well, according to all the major film festivals, it's not good enough to make it into their film festival. And then, According to Hollywood and Rotten Tomatoes and everyone who's seen it, it's a great film. So mm-hmm. I don't know where the answer is. I'm going to go with the people. Yeah. On this one. You know, there's a there's, you know, people go, hey, you never know. It's like it's up to taste or who, who knows who sees what or whatever it is with any of these docs we're talking about or with the, the hammer or um, road hard or whatever it is. They never make them into any festivals, but. Um, I would say you could deduce, you could deduce it. Like what you could do is you could pick a film festival like Sundance Film Festival and you could pick their last five docs from the last five years or their top five docs or their middle five docs from the last five years and just get a general score from Rotten Tomatoes. Like you get an average. And it would, you know, you're av- with the people because uh, the critics aren't reviewing uppity, but you're with the people and you'd go, okay, the average score from the last five years for the mid five movies from Sundance is an 81. And then you go, okay, what's yours? Ours is a 97. Okay. What was, what was the Newman doc? That was a 91. Okay. What was, and then you'd find that all the scores were above their median score. Mm-hmm. And then you go, well, that's something, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> why not go? Why isn't that a piece of, of evidence? Yes, Max Pat. Well, I'm, I'm also thinking because uh, if you look at it from any branding or marketing perspective, the one thing that you really can't buy that everybody wants is engagement. It's not likes. It's not anything like that. Cause you can buy all that, but 
having people talking about it is really what you want. And I'm seeing on Twitter, uh, people are still just messaging you and tweeting you and saying how much they love the movie. I've never seen a reaction like this to really anything you've, you've done to where it's been so rich in engagement. Oh, well, that's a good point that only bolstered my own, Max Zapata. <laughs> Sorry about that twenty nine ninety eight remark. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry. All but, is forgiven. Take it back. Um, yeah, so then it leaves you with the story of, well, why isn't it, it accepted to any film festivals? And um, people think it's paranoid or grandiose, but I think it's because my name's on it. That's why. <laughs> That's, I mean, uh I don't know. I, I can't offer an empirical piece of evidence as to why none of them ever make it into these film festivals because they seem to be universally enjoyed. That much I can I can tell you. And this one had a strong civil rights kind of uh, leaning to it. So you'd think it'd be right up their alley. But uh, once again, we shall not be entering those those um, film festivals. And, 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 and by the way, I... Not not for now, but for now and forever. It's never mm-hmm. it's never going to happen. This is probably our sixth film that's been rejected from those. Uh, well, look, we talked about it before. I, I I think the Newman film was a great doc. It was the first one. It was a fantastic story. And they had, at, you know, Paul Newman was the biggest star in the world in his day. And, uh, and his, you know, his, his best buddy is Robert Redford, who... I don't know if he runs the day to day at Sundance, but owns it or controls it. And Sundance turned down the movie featuring his best. As a matter of fact, Robert Redford's in the dock (laughs) and, and they still said no, which seemed weird. I don't know. In a weird way, I respect them for sticking by their guns. You know what I mean? How about a Corolla? How about a, uh, Hey, we feel like it's a conflict of interest because our boss is in your film but we'd love to show it, not, not vote on it or anything. Just do like a, like an exhibition run during mm-hmm. the, uh, during the Sundance film festival, you know? Yeah. yeah. Nah, those yeah. guys, all those film festival guys are like, they're like, somebody took the worst guys in Hollywood, the guys you hate the most, the most woke dickheads from Hollywood and fucking fed them creatine. Except for it wasn't creatine, it was douche. And just turn them into a fucking weaponized version of like all the guys you see in Hollywood with all the bracelets and shit and who are total douchebags and pussies. The guys who run Sundance are like fucking supercharged versions of those pussies. Years ago, they they were in my building when my started one of my internet company, my first company, in Santa Monica and the building there was like a 12 story building and the submission department for Sundance film festival was like, I don't know, on the sixth floor. And once a year there'd be just be like these giant boxes of videotapes coming and all through the lobby was just videotapes, videotapes of people just submitting shit and they just keep taking them upstairs. I don't know what their process was for trying to go through any of these things or decide or whatever. But, uh, I, it just it just seemed like a bunch of twenty somethings in an office going through videotapes. Like I don't know what the qualifications were. Well, they have. I think they have their favorites or their darlings or the the people they like, and then they have their like no no fly zones. Like Max Zapata could probably 
figure out that like the Duplass brothers have probably had a whole bunch of films accepted to Sundance over the years. Max Pat could probably figure it out, but it's also why when one of them met with Ben Shapiro to ask him some questions and then sent out a tweet saying Ben Shapiro is a decent guy, he had to walk it back. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because if the Sundance people find out that you're friends with Ben Shapiro, then there will be no more, uh, there will be no more Duplass brothers in, in Sundance. So that's why, that's why I have to walk stuff back. Not, not because you, you don't have to walk it back because you, you think you should walk it back or because you're sorry for what you said, or you even disagree with what you said, or you thought about what you said, you have to walk it back because if you cross up Sundance, then there is no, no more. The Duplass brothers can join me on the no fly zone. (laughs) Don't walk that shit back, which is, uh, I don't know. Feels feels a little like McCarthyism. <laughs> yeah. And the thing that's funny is is the assholes from Sundance would do nothing but rail against McCarthyism every waking moment of their day. Now they're out practicing it. Which is you disagree with me, you don't get to get in our festival. Even if yeah. whatever even if the festival and the film have nothing to do with your politics or my politics. Right. It's an interesting way to run a company. I would argue uh, it makes you a hypocrite, but I'll buy uh, Max Zapata a few minutes on seeing if we can run, run down the uh, number of Duplass projects that uh, made it into Sundance. But it, look, it's a club. You got to be in it. If you're not in it, you're out of it. And if you're out of it, you're not getting in it. That's that's yeah. how. All right. Let me tell you about Tommy John. Tommy mm-hmm. John. Oh, these guys are the best for 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 once. I'm going to be honest. I'm not wearing my Tommy John's right now. <laughs> I am on natural in a bathrobe. But uh, as soon as I uh, hit that rowing machine, I'm donning my Tommy John's. I set a personal best on that rowing machine last night. I did uh, 6,544 meters on it in a half hour, in a 30-minute period. And I could see my Tommy John's peeking out through my shorts. See? <laughs> I don't like it when they get sucked up the thigh there. I like it when the under when the Tommy Johns are down low yeah. and the uh and the shorts come up high. Uh the loungewear is unbelievable. Um I wear I, I wore that well you saw I was wearing the loungewear shirt for the first like seventeen days of quarantine. Eventually I just <laughs> I had to put it in the I had to put it in the hamper because people knew because people could see that I'd, I was wearing it now past two weeks so but the loungewear is amazing go to tommyjohn.com you can get 20 percent off uh the loungewear and everything site wise and it's it's the best it's the most comfortable they got the best pair you'll ever wear or it's free guarantee you'll never go back to what you're wearing it's tommy john right matt yeah hurry to tommyjohn.com slash carcast for 20 percent off your first order that's tommyjohn.com slash carcast for 20 percent off tommyjohn.com slash carcast so this virtual race thing is, uh, and Max, Pat, if you find out any Duplass uh, Sundance stuff, yeah, it's you can not tell us. as easily available. I'm just counting every movie they have, and I'm at nine already before 2015. So I'm just uh, yeah, nine in Sundance. I'm, I'm, yeah, right. I'm individually counting, and yeah, and the, uh, the rest are like Toronto Film Festival, South by Southwest. All right, well, you can take those nine. 
Okay. And uh, you can take a look at the Rotten Tomatoes score for the people. <laughs> and uh, I think the number will start with a five, but it could start with a six. All right. Let me... we'll, we'll see. It could be math. higher, but it ain't going to be 97 and 96 and 91. <clears throat> That's, uh, that would be my prediction. So now you start to get a little clarity there. All right. So uh, this virtual racing. Yeah. NTT IndyCar Series. What's NTT? Uh, NTT, I want to say it was a phone company, but... Like AT&T? Let's see. NTT IndyCar Series. Telegraph and Telephone. Oh, it is a telephone. All right. So round three IndyCar racing. I've been seeing some of this on SportsCenter. It's kind of interesting. I guess everyone has to be sitting in a pretty good simulator, right? Yeah. Yeah. Some of the rigs these guys have is pretty intense. Well, I'm guessing from what these guys do for a living and having to go from track to track to track and familiarize themselves with the tracks, I'm guessing that most of these guys have a pretty good rig anyway, right? Like every... Every team has a good rig, right? It doesn't mean it's in the guy's living room, but every team has to have a good simulator, right? I, I would think so. I'm curious to know if, like, if there's any of them out there where they're like, video games just aren't my thing. Mm-hmm. I don't even want to do it. Is there anybody who's racing the IndyCar series going, eh, racing or whatever, the video game is not, it's not for me. I've never done it before. I'll take the real thing. Or, yeah, it seems like a, most of the guys, though, are even maybe at the race or in their trailer or some downtime or something. They're all doing, yeah, you know, they're all doing something there. Well, it, it's a way to keep your skills sharp. And also, they're finding out that the guys who do tons of the simulator stuff are able to transition onto the track as well. Is Simon Pagano up there? Or- yeah, he's, he's currently connecting right now. And All right. There he is. Hi, Simon. Joined join by computer audio. Uh, oh, you're clicking the stuff. All there right. There you so- go. And uh, on Simon's uh, Instagram, by the way, is a photo of him and his rig, his three monitors and his chair, and, his, and uh, looks like a bowl of pasta. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll have him, uh, yeah, we have him, we'll have him up and running in a second. So here's a question for you, Matt. Yeah. Um, can hear you now. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> Is there an advantage to the equipment? Doesn't the playing field need to be level? Shouldn't we all just be using using the, the exact same mechanical stuff? Yeah, and uh, <laughs> that's a good question. So, Simon, we're talking about uh, welcome. Thank you for coming in. And we're talking a little bit about the uh, the iRacing series that, uh, that you guys are playing in. And we're just starting to question – is it a level playing field? Do all of you guys have the same rig and the chair and the, and the, the monitors or does everybody set up their own gear? Is somebody at home just like with a Xbox controller or something and then everybody else has like strapped into a chair? Or how does it work? Well, thanks for having me on the, on the show, for, first of all. And I thought we were talking about equipment to talk together. Like, I thought we <laughs> yeah, were saying, yeah, no, we, should we be on the same equipment? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should not. all do this from an iRacing chair. That would be easier. Exactly. 
but to answer your question, um, no, I don't think anyone has the same uh, package. Uh, I think, you know, I personally wanted to do this 100%. So I went into buying three giant screen. So it looks like I'm in a, a theater uh, room. And, uh, and I had a, a previously a, a steering wheel that's a Fanatec. It's the best you can find on the market. So I went all the way to, uh, to make sure I would be competitive and, and, and just to dive in you know, and, and do things like I would do it go a hundred percent. But, uh, I know Connor Daly has, um, an old steering wheel hooked up to a desk. So, uh, I don't even <laughs> think he's got a chair. <laughs> <laughs> well, his chair probably has wheels on it. Probably. So, <laughs> um, so th I, this is a way to keep people entertained. You know, I was watching some of this stuff on sports center. They're doing it Or like who wins, who wipes out, and all that. But it's also a way to keep your skills sharp, right? Yes, it is. It's actually uh, uh, it's very interesting. You know, I think I'm going to do more of this in the future because I realized that you know it really makes your gears turn, uh, and it keeps you sharp. It keeps your reflexes going, and your brain's being tricked, you, right? You can't feel the race car, so you have to find other ways and sharpen other senses. To, to be good at, at this. So, um, so I think I might end up being better as a driver out of this. Um, right. And I think it's a, it's a great way to entertain the fans. Um, I was talking to Matt about this new thing of guys that are these virtual stars that win all these races, you know, these computer races actually transitioning into the race car. And a lot of them have been, successful or had some success more than you would think but in, in a way if you just drove on a simulator even if you were a pilot if you were a pilot and you drove and you were in a simulator for 10 years you'd probably be able to fly a plane i i would agree with you it's uh it's funny it's a question that keeps coming back right now i uh i uh i had somebody call me this morning and say hey um how can i get into racing and i actually said you know why don't you try virtual racing first and see how good you are um, so I, I think it's relevant is, um, my problem, but you tell me and you guys, I'm guessing your team has really good simulators, not for this purpose, but for learning tracks and such data and stuff like that. My, uh, the, the little simulator experience I've had is, the wheel, the brake, the way the car feels. Those of, us, those of us who've driven actual race cars then get into the race car simulator and realize it doesn't really feel anything like the car. How close is your simulator to what your actual Indy car feels like? Well, I've, I've managed to take the dimension of uh, where I'm sitting compared to the steering wheel and, and the pedals, how far they are. And I've adjusted everything to be the same, exactly the same. So I have the same sitting position, um, but you're right. Like even the steering force feedback is different. Uh, you try to replicate it, but uh, it's not fully exactly like it is. So I think if you don't have racing experience, you might learn faster how to drive the simulator. Um, right. I think for us guys like you and I, it's, it's more of an adjustment. But uh, uh, like you said, the simulator we use with Chevy to uh, prepare for each track is is a lot more um, advanced because of the motion of everything and, um, and 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 the work that we put into it. So, uh, but this is this gets pretty close to real life. You know how much? 
I was going to say, how much simulator racing have you done prior to coronavirus, basically? Well, not as much as I should have, (laughs) (laughs) because I'm training on average uh, five hours a day right now to... uh, Wow. to you know uh, reduce the gap with the top guys but uh, as you can see i'm running top five which is pretty good i think it's i think the best i can do at the moment but i'll get there uh previously i've had a lot of experience with racing simulator to like you said adam prepare for the racetrack but uh right uh, it's different when uh when you're in your living room and uh and nothing moves and it's just you racing against pro races pro virtual races yeah the the simulator stuff or half the simulator stuff is literally just learning the track. It's not really about being fast in the simulator as it is about where the apex and if it's a road course, especially it's like really learning the track. So your, your mind is a little more on trying to find the path than it is, you know, how fast to go. You'll worry about that when you get to the track, but this is different. Now you're racing versus versus learning i i see i think this is going to be one of those things where your skill set is improved through this being foisted on you sort of like when people say well i lost my sight but then my hearing became very keen or my sense of smell or touch or sense around me was all heightened i feel like this is going to help your game even if it feels sort of a imposed i i I agree um like like i said earlier you know it's tricking your brain but you know in other ways you're developing other other senses like you said feedback and and i think you know as a as a driver you always try to improve yourself uh and make every skills better right and and there's definitely um i feel improving some areas of my driving that i didn't even expect before do you have any, you won the last uh, Indy 500, so congratulations. First Frenchman, I'm, I'm reading here since, uh, I think it was 1926 or something insane, or 1920. God, yep. that, is a, that is a long, <laughs> I hope he it's was there to, shake, there to shake your hand when you crossed the finish line. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so what any thoughts about the Indy 500 Matt and I were planning on coming out this year we've been out a few times we've been there with Willie T ribs we've had the greatest time ever it's such an amazing event but one of the things that makes it amazing is three 350,000 people packed into one place I mean there's never been more humanity you know forget a football game a football game is 65,000 people this is five of those so um, any thoughts or any discussion or any inside skinny on when that thing could be run? Well, at the moment, we're uh, scheduled to run August 23rd, I believe. Um, it's uh, it's going to be a complete different race because of the heat, right? right. It's going to be uh, in the middle of the summer, really hot. The cars are going to slide around a lot more. It's going to be a different race. Um, and uh, obviously, you know, we... Uh, we're still waiting to see what's going to happen with this virus. We're being positive. I think, you know, IndyCar's done a tremendous job at uh, reorganizing the schedule for the whole season, but most importantly for the fire. Simon, sorry, you seized up a second there, but I think you're saying most importantly for the fans and, uh, 
I'm. Uh, yes, I did. <laughs> good. We lost everything after that. <laughs> Sorry, I said. I said most most importantly is you know IndyCar's done a great job at uh, finding a way to to run the 500, and the fans are going to be able to go. Um, I think it's going to give us enough time before uh, uh, you know after the deconfinement to uh, to get going. So uh, it's the biggest event in the world. So hopefully we can run it, and uh, I'm very positive. Well, I'm not worried. I'm going to be there. I won't be wearing gloves or mask because I will have so much vodka in me that no <laughs> virus could ever find a home. It'll immediately be killed off. Like, you know, my wife's spraying the alcohol all over the counter and wipe it all down. That's what I'll be, I'll be sweating so much alcohol that no way. By halfway into that race, that coronavirus can be running the other direction. I promise you that. Several people nearby. <laughs> <laughs> um, Simon, uh, uh, the Indy 500 uh, was an exciting race. You did so well. Obviously won. And then, but give us a little insight as sort of what happens after that race. Aside from huge photo shoots with Norman Pagano. Uh, <laughs> and uh and more photos of him on uh on the on the brickyard over there than than it seems like any dog has ever been at a racetrack but uh the media tour that encompasses the winner of the indy 500 uh it is just fantastic yeah it's it's, it's incredible well first of all out of that mr norman uh, got a sponsorship <laughs> um, so he's being sponsored by Julius K9. They make harnesses for dogs and they wanted Norman to be an ambassador. Wow. So he got more out of it than I did. But he's uh, making more money than the rest of us. <laughs> well, it's good. He pays for his own food now. So that's great. But uh, no, it's, um, it's life changer in many ways. First of all, the recognition of the industry uh, within the industry has changed. You know, I went to the F1 Grand Prix in Budapest. And everybody knew about, you know, the race that we just ran. Everybody knew about the battle I had with Rossi. And um, it, was, uh, it was a very different feeling uh, being recognized by everybody as, a, as an Indianapolis 500 winner. So that's the first thing that was most important to me is being recognized as one of the best in what I do um, within my industry. And then I think it's not only it, you be, you're being recognized in racing, but now you know, you take a different dimension uh, worldwide. The media uh, have had such an impact all around the world with, with this race that um, now I'm more known in France, where I'm from, you wouldn't believe. Um, my second best country that's falling with Brazil. So uh, it's just incredible to see how much you can grow after winning such a big, uh, such a big sport event. Well, I'm looking at your helmet in the back, and it looks like it has some Brazilian colors on it. So I don't know if that's a coincidence. I can't remember. <laughs> I'm, I'm picturing Senna's helmet a little bit, and it's got a little Senna in it, that helmet behind right. you. And what is the story to that livery? Is that um, a it is a Senna helmet, actually. Oh, yeah, it is? Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, uh, so I see. Funny you said that. I actually ran um, his livery mixed with mine in 2014 at the 500. Um, you know, celebrating his life um, back then and being also um, associated to the uh, Ayrton Senna Foundation, who's uh, helping kids learn how to read uh, and talk. So it's um, it's been amazing because he's my hero, 
um, and I feel very connected to him in some ways. I'm a spiritual person, so please follow me here. But, uh, uh, you know, I've, I found myself in, in what he was saying and how he was describing himself while driving. Um, and uh, I've been trying to get closer and closer. And, and now I'm, I'm closer to the foundation. And um, I feel very grateful that uh, I'm in such a position to, uh, to be closer to your hero. You know, it's, it's quite special. So uh, love Senna and, and his driving style, I think, impacted the whole world. Yeah, well, that documentary was groundbreaking. And obviously the in-car footage of him like driving in the rain at Monte Carlo um, was, uh, to anybody who appreciates driving, it was sort of magical. And, and yeah. of course, with the F1 sound and obviously at a time before all the technology was involved with the F1 cars and, you know, you really had to drive the car, I think to to any racing purist that was some of the most incredible footage ever and it's smart for you because you wear the Senna colors on the helmet and then you get to go back to France and be adored but then you get to go uh back to I'm sorry where do you uh Rio I'm uh, not uh where's he from <laughs> sorry screw that screwed up his uh, home Sao Paulo yeah. yeah Brazil yeah. yeah Brazil you get to go back to Sao Paulo and then be a hero as well. So you really have two countries now <laughs> s- supporting you. Yeah. The, uh, Oh yeah. We're looking at you in the car. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That was it's... it. So that was very special for me to uh, wear his colors. And you know what? I mean, I, when I left pit lane, everybody was looking at the helmet and everybody had that, uh, that look about it, a respect. Uh, it was very special to feel like I was chosen to have such, um, such a message. Um, I, I was very worried not to do well with it because, you know, you've got such pressure now. Uh, but um, eventually, um, you know, I, it's funny because just before the 500 this year, a member of uh, the Hatton Center Foundation came and find me and gave me a bracelet, a Hatton Center bracelet. And I wore it during the race. You could actually see it on the winning pictures. So, wow. Uh, that's pretty cool. Very cool. I saw that dude at the bar. He gave me the same bracelet, and then he handed <laughs> one to Matt, and then he handed yeah. one to my kid. He just he was handing them to everybody. Saying, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, it oh, wasn't oh. that special at all. <laughs> I keep it special in my head then. <laughs> That's what he said. He was laughing about you. He said he gave one to Passion. Yeah, he's like, yeah, Passion was really pushing it for me. Um, I want to ask you about uh, about uh, Penske. You're, you're driving the 22 uh, team Penske Chevrolet. Uh, but the boss went in and uh, and bought the uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and then he bought the uh, NTT IndyCar Series as well. That sounds like a, a big check to write all in one day. <laughs> well, but if you can do it, and it's your dream. Why not? Right? I mean, it's yeah, it's amazing. I, I think you know, obviously, if you think about it, like just being super fan here, but imagine this like you're 16 years old you go with your dad to that race and you fall in love with it then you build your team you have the most win of everyone anyone in the world and then after that you buy the place i think Mm -hmm. it's it's just incredible to see yeah i've got such an admiration for for roger and uh, for what he's capable of doing and the goals that he sets himself uh, and actually doing it is, is incredible but um yeah, I think, quite frankly, for IndyCar and uh, the IndyCar series, I think we're lucky that we're in this era. I think the, the George and Herman family did a, 
I mean, I mean, an amazing job to make it the biggest sporting event in the world. But now we, we are going into the next era of the sport and uh, we have a lot of momentum. Um, you know, we know how the Penske organization work and they're going to change a few things. And uh, I'm very excited to see how they run it. So, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting time when we get racing. Well, we'll be, yeah, we'll be there. We'll be, we'll be watching. We'll be sweating. And you're right. That heat, it's going to add a dimension that we've never seen before because track temp is a major deal. It has everything to do with tires and traction. And, um, it's going to, it's going to make for a different condition, but it'll be the same for every team. But now, it'll be something for the team to figure out. It'll be an approach that each team has to, has to consider. And that's going to add another element of strategy to the for event. Sure. So it's going to be super exciting. I want to give uh, Simon a plug. It'll be Saturday. It'll be Saturday, two thirty. Um, it'll be on NBC sports. It's the third round of the IndyCar racing challenge taking place on, on a virtual uh, Michigan international raceway. <clears throat> I'll be watching and, uh, and, and, and hopefully we'll come shake your hand at uh, Indy in a few short months when this is all just a bad memory. Yeah. I can't wait for that. Uh, Michigan should be fun this weekend. I've did some practice. Woo, there's going to be some crashes. So uh, stay <laughs> tuned and um, it's fun to watch. Well, I was also going to say that the only possible downside of all this simulator racing is how easy it is to crash and, you know, just get up and make yourself a sandwich and walk into the kitchen. You know what I mean? <laughs> I hope that doesn't carry over yes. onto the track. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I hope so, too, because that would be really bad for anyone, anybody. <laughs> yeah. You get those Big bad budget. simulator ideas like this lap traffic guy is going too slow. I'm going to ram him <laughs> <laughs> right it's very right. relieving actually i gotta tell you adam when you actually have the opportunity to do that it's it's sort of relieving it's, it's think, very nice to do when you can i, I think the english <laughs> word you're looking for is cathartic it feels nice to ram it your feels nice. yes simon Pagino, thank you uh, very much and uh hopefully we'll uh, see you at indy this year i can't i can't wait to see you guys there thank you Thanks, Simon. Indie guys, Matt, always the nicest, right? Absolutely. I try to swing by and say hi to Simon at the Long Beach Grand Prix every year. And uh, unfortunately, that's completely canceled for a year. So uh, the next time will be, uh, will be uh, uh, Indy 500. But, well, we uh, look forward to it. All right, uh, gang, uh, thanks for tuning in. You can go to amcrolla.com for anything uh, you need and uh, uppity and, and all the other racing docs are over at uh, Chassis, H-A-S-S-Y. You can pre-order my book at adamcrolla.com as well. My new book or Barnes & Noble or Amazon. Click through us. It just helps when you go to Amazon. And until next time, this is Adam Kroll for Simon Pagino and Matt, the moderator, DeAndrea, saying, keep the air in the spare and the bag in the wheel. For the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CarCast Show. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarCastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit CarCastShow.com.
so much for listening. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about our friends at Geico. Uh, it doesn't matter if you own your home, you rent your home. Either way, I know it can be a lot of work. So bundling your policies, your homeowners and renters insurance with Geico makes it super easy. And it's a good thing because you have so much to do already, especially these days. So just go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you can save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's geico.com to bundle your home and auto policies.